Fangoria has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible and is delivered right to your front door four times a year. And you know what? Each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking, past, present, and future, with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including, from time to time, your intrepid kink-ass hosts. I have a piece in there coming up all about how Stephen King has been robbed at the Oscars, I tell you. So, like I said, all the best people. We have all the best people at the Fangoria. The high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, well, you'll need to subscribe. And in order to do that, all you got to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. KingCast listeners are in the family, so I got a nifty promo code to share with you. I'm sure you could figure it out by now, but just in case this is your first episode, you can save a whopping 25% off your order if you use the code KingCast at checkout. So, with all that said, let's get on with that show. Hi, my name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We have a very exciting show this week for you folks. Um, I say that every week, but I, I particularly mean it this week. We have one of our absolute favorite returning guests talking to us about a title that we have... Um, as far as I can recall, not actually covered at length on the show before. And or at all, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I think we may have in like a bonus episode on the mm. low men, but uh, yeah. not not in the main feed and certainly not an entire episode. You know, this guest is one of the most beloved and accomplished authors of the modern era, the esteemed buckaroo behind such tinglers as Space Raptor Butt Invasion, I Have No Butt and I Must Pound, and Creamed in the Butt by My Handsome Living Corn, a title which might be of special interest to a certain segment of the KingCast fan base, as well as the recently released Camp Damascus, a no-joke horror novel that arrived to great acclaim earlier this year. His next horror novel, Barrier Gaze, will arrive next year, but he's here today to discuss a very unusual Stephen King title, the 2009 novella Ur, which was originally released exclusively on the Amazon Kindle before later appearing in King's 2015 collection, The Bazaar of Bad Dreams. Ladies and gentlemen, love is real, and please welcome back to the KingCast stage, Mr. Chuck Tingle. Chuck, how are you doing today? Hello. Oh my gosh. I am so excited to be here. I love um, chatting uh, chatting with you both, and uh, I am I am really excited to be here with my uh, fancy new microphone setup so that it'll sound crystal clear. Yes, yes. you're yeah, coming you coming through with razor clarity this time. Totally clear. Definitely not from uh, definitely not recorded through a Kindle from an alternate timeline <laughs> crackling through the airwaves. I am I'm certainly on this timeline right now. That that is well, that is true. This is a kind of depressing timeline to be on, so I wouldn't brag too much about that. But uh, but sure. I, I do appreciate the enthusiasm. Yeah, well, you yeah, you know, it's easy to say that, but then if you go peeking into the other ones, uh, you <laughs> think, "Wow, actually, I guess this one's looking pretty good." We didn't uh, we didn't end in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Uh, uh, I'm just I'm dropping Ur references left and right already. I know. Look at this. Yes, ready um, and raring to go in that Ur knowledge. 
we'll get to Ur, Ur in just a minute, but uh, we've got a little time up front. We don't. You, you've been on the show several times now. We're always happy to have you, and we, so we don't need to do your Stephen King origin story. Um, but I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Camp Damascus first of all, and and also a little bit about barrier gaze. Like how how did you feel about the response to? Damascus. Oh, it feels like gosh. this was you kind of going a little bit more mainstream or a little a little more serious, perhaps. Yes. And it seems like that experiment paid off handsomely for you. Yes. I, I well, you know, I think what it is is actually maybe a reveal uh to kind of uh not to be disagreeable, but to con- counteract one of your points, I think it's maybe a reveal that um I have always been serious. I think that's kind of Fair. what I think that's kind of what Camp Damascus uh what that was and maybe why it resonated mm-hmm. is because um I, I think I operate artistically uh, in a bit of a Trojan horse where um I have these uh, things that um uh you know n- no offense taken they do not uh I think to most buckers do not seem serious I think there's a, a lot of versions of maybe what I do that 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 are are not uh sincere but um, mm-hmm. i really tackle art with a lot of sincerity and my uh, erotic tinglers are are in fact sincere so um i think that when camp damascus came out there's a lot of buckers who maybe wouldn't um stop to read uh, these uh, explorations of erotic art because they do seem silly on the surface who then are opening this book and thinking wait a minute this is a uh, this is a uh, good art uh and uh, so i i kind of think that it's more a function of you know it's been 10 years of this kind of trojan horse uh that uh, you know now the now it's being opened up which feels really nice uh I mean, the response has been so dang, so dang welcoming. Um, the horror community, much like I don't know if you buckaroos are, uh, are listen to metal music, heavy metal. Um, oh sure. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot in common with horror and and metal in that um, communities seem like they should be the scariest of the bunch and are generally mm-hmm. kind of the nicest warmest and most loving uh right you know you fall down in a dang uh in a dang pop mosh pit you might never uh get up again <laughs> you fall down in a heavy metal mosh pit and you're gonna have eight very strong men immediately picking you up and pat- patting you on the back um, that's very true I, yes i feel like horror as a genre is kind of the same way it is a it's a you know there there's obviously it's not all sunshine and rainbows but in general as a community um, very supportive, I think, compared to a lot of other genres. I would agree with that. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, natural overlap between those two camps. If you go to any horror convention, you're going to see a ton of Slayer t-shirts and, <laughs> you know, shit like that. Um, it's, Lots of wallets with chains on them. Yes. But, oh, it, yes. but, but you are right. It's uh, I, I hear that about the, the horror community a lot. And particularly mm-hmm. since um, we've been doing the show and since I've been working for Fangoria, you know, it's. The idea of like, you know, uh, maybe more um, quote unquote normal people or people who aren't, I, I should say, interested in in horror, uh, to put it a little more tactfully. Um, they, I think they look at people that, that love horror and love seeing, you know, gory movies and stuff as something inherently wrong with them. And that's that's absolutely not true. Like the least violent people I know are yes. are all sure. horror fans. Well, there, there, there's a, uh, I think those drawn to this 
both genres, uh, heavy metal and horror, um, are, are obviously kind of um, dabbling in transgression. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so I think that that's a healthy human thing to do. And if you look at kind of um, some of the least, uh, the, the less uh, uh, friendly things that humanity has done, a lot of it comes from um, trying to uh, uh, repress uh, right. people and tran- tran- transgressive things. So I, I think that, yeah, the, these communities are just inherently going to mm. kind of involve a lot of at least um, mentally and uh, emotionally mature people because they, mm-hmm. they are open to exploring kind of these natural instincts instincts that I think are kind of dangerous to to repress. And that that's why when you start to have problems. Right. Well yeah, something absolutely. else that I've noticed that I think is really funny is think about the faces of horror. Like the icons of creative horror. You have Wes Craven, Sam Raimi, you have Stephen King, you know, Dean Koontz even. All these are like fucking grandpas, right? They're all just really warm happy people you know oh, doing yes. their you know doing their thing and they've they you know for, for the most part that is most of the people who create all this spooky scary horror is oh, yes. are those kind of people every once in a while you get like a rob zombie who like leans into the the monster part of it right but uh mm-hmm. i would know, say but i think too- that's more comes from his, his his music background i think if he started out as a director he might not have that same look and feel you know well I mean? and he also that with him it really does kind of just seem unless there's something that i don't know that really seems like just a look I, i've seen interviews with with him and uh and he really does kind of i mean he did the dang monsters movie right. you know so yeah. you know there there's there's something there i i also speaking of interviews i and exactly what you're saying i just watched a dang interview with the the actor that plays um art the clown in terrifier yeah, yeah. Uh, and i thought what a what a kind man who i mm-hmm. he used to be a, <laughs> a a school teacher and I just thought, oh wow, my God. That, 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 what an incredible actor. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it, it, it really is true. There's just a, a warmth there. It's funny. Um, the metal community, too. I, I, I've said this a lot about Camp Damascus. I think, um, you know, it is horror, but it is also uh, it's very uh, it's a cathartic uh, story for kind of queer issues, obviously. Um, but also, you know, neurodivergent issues with an autistic uh, main character and me being autistic as well. But the thing I think that gets overlooked in that is that um, it's very pro metalhead, and I always kind of joke about that. I, I think <laughs> it's it's very funny that um, that you know there's so much a uh, representation there, but there's a character Saul uh, who you know kind of triumphs in a scene of a uh, of metal and grindcore, uh, and there's demons and all kinds of stuff. And um, that was the first scene I thought of when writing that book was actually kind of kind of the ending and it's just very um it's a very throw up your horns in the air kind of moment mm, uh, right. so um i always i love it when it resonates with uh, other queer buckaroos or autistic buckaroos but every once in a while i get the comments of the metalhead buckaroo saying oh man i felt so represented and i think good now oh, that's great is oh. is metal the genre you listen to the most chuck um, I, you know what? I, I don't think, I think that mostly I am a sort of a, uh, gosh, what would you call it? A, a, a dad pop kind of guy. I mean, I really <laughs> love, I love Bruce Hornsby. Um, <laughs> sure. I, you know, Randy Newman. I, I mean, I just uh-huh. listen to 
to, I, I'm going to call it dad pop, but um, I also listen to literally everything. Um, yeah. And I would say that if I am, if I'm not on, on a pop train, um, then it's probably going to be Meshuggah. Um, so, you mm-hmm. know, I do, I do love, I do love metal. I would say I'm actually more of a kind of a hardcore buckaroo. I don't know if uh, listeners, um, really, I don't know how many even know the difference, but, um, I, I'm more of a metalcore, hardcore kind of guy, uh, rather than kind of old school heavy metal, but I got a soft spot for it all. Hmm. Yeah, I, I get you. I'm the same way. I'll listen to all, I'll listen to almost anything. And I've kind of softened on that because it used to be I'll listen to anything except for country. But even as I've gotten older, I've discovered like there's some pop country shit that I kind of like. Mm-hmm. That, oh, wow. Yes. You know, I'm 10 thinking, years yes. ago, I, I just absolutely wouldn't have been listening to. And, you know, over I will time, say pop country, uh, which I think mostly is they, they tend to call it crossover, which is funny because um, that kind of implies that that it's this crossover between pop and country when all modern country is, is half pop now. Um, but, um, yeah. y- you know, um, uh, that crossover is pretty fascinating in the, um, the kind of just the songwriting and the craft of it is so honed that I, I do listen to it sometimes. Um, and I don't get the same kind of enjoyment emotionally from it, but intellectually, um, I, I love it because I just love to deconstruct, um, um, just ha- the, the craft of it, the industry mm. of it is kind of amazing. And then in right. country too, you, you have old stuff, which I guess I, I kind of call it Western. I, I instead of mm-hmm. country, I think, okay, well, I'm going to just call Johnny Cash or, you know, Hank Williams Western, Western even though that is country, but that's Western how I think might, of it. <clears throat> Western might be the better way to put it because as, as you're talking, I'm realizing I'm probably using the wrong terminology like mm. i'm thinking of uh orville peck oh yes uh, the ruin so brothers good. yes stuff like that um i don't know if you're familiar with them like uh my um uh, my dear friend mallory mara turned me on to these these bands i and, think like, orville peck just, is just a that's just a shining he's a shining beacon of kind of just something different it's yes. almost hmm. like uh you know you could say indie country or something like that but at that point it's almost um it's almost folk or roots rock or something i i don't mm, know that right. now we're getting into these genre <laughs> definitions which you know uh, there kind of is no right or wrong answer to right that. And so when I said pop country, what I'm thinking is, well, it's country, but it's also got some rock to it. And it's also like, you know, so it's probably not pop country. I just don't know. the yes. I don't know the terminology. We are. No. I'm in uncharted territory here, but I'm having I'm having. <laughs> no, I'm that's a, no, it's great. I, no, this is great. I, you know, that reminds me. I, I, I listen to a lot of uh, Chris Isaac, who I, who I yes. actually when you think about kind of falls into that category, too. Um, it's almost rockabilly. Mm-hmm to be almost honest. yeah yeah yes. yeah yeah huh. well see country like i'm i was i'm with you scott like what is like popular country is not my cup of tea at all but like i've like i've come to realize that that uh because i'm such an old school rock person and when you go into the early days of rock and roll that was mixing 
country and Western into this new format, you know, mixing it with blues, mixing it with, you know, it was this hodgepodge of stuff. And I love all that stuff. And, you know, and, and who doesn't love Dolly Parton? Who, you know, I, I found that I've, you know, I, I've really loved uh, like Waylon Jennings and 70s country recently yes. too. So, uh, so I've, I've had the exact same thing where I'm like anything but country. And then I realized, but I actually like a lot of country, you know, and I, and I think a lot right. of it's just born from, uh, from the fact that, you know, there was the, the period of music that I listened to the most, like talking fifties through, you know, seventies rock and roll has so much of a country influence to it. Like you listen to Leonard Skinner or even the Eagles and some of their songs are, are very, you could, you know, just change the tempo slightly and you have a, a straight up country song, you know, it's, oh, yes. uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting. Maybe it just means we're getting old. Scott, no. I think it. I think it means we're we're becoming more tolerant people. And <laughs> that's, a, that's a good thing. Good I, well, you know, in this genre in particular, though, it. I do think that it has changed in the way of um, even what it represents and kind of subject mm. matter. Um, right. If you that's think true. about that '70s country, all those songs, all those artists, you know, they people kind of look back and call them outlaw country now. But right back then, that is kind of what country was i mean look at it this way john the biggest name johnny cash was was doing live records from prisons talking about talking about prison reform can you imagine a modern country artist doing a live album humanizing uh prisoners and talking about prison reform it's just the the just kind of the even the socio uh economic implications of the genre Mm -hmm. have have completely changed. So yes, I think we are all kind of growing and maturing, but also that particular genre has just um, changed in a pretty wild way. <laughs> I yeah. never in a million years would have imagined that our, uh, our, our episode would, would be a deep dive into, <laughs> into the different formats of country. Yeah, well, country you know, music. never in a million I, years. Would I, I do it. think it's an interesting, here, here's I love her. I, 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 well, can I ask, how do you, in an, in an honest way, how do you feel about this story? I, I love mm. it, but it seems kind of, it seems a little divisive, and I definitely understand mm. why. Some some buckers think of it as a commercial, which I guess right. it, it kind of is, but I that just makes it more fascinating to me. I, I love it. To this, yeah. to, the, to the criticism that it's a, a commercial, I would say that, Stephen King is a writer who, from the very beginning, was known for inserting brands, um, mm. name brands, into his stories, and it was a, you know, a method of just being more realistic. You know, we, we it's more immersive to to hear a character say like, "I'd like a, I'd like a Miller Light or I'd like a Lone Star or whatever," then I'll have a beer. You know, like whenever yes. I hear that in a movie or read it in a story, it just kind of takes me out of it for a minute. Like, you're not going to specify what kind. Like, that's kind of weird. Um, yes, the there's, illusion. A, there's an inhumanity to it that is not really. Yeah. It's like spotting a five 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 number in a in a movie. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly that. Yes, yes, exactly that thing. So, so I think King writing a story about a Kindle for the Kindle isn't really that far off the mark. And he's also always experimented with format. You know, yes, um, yes. this wasn't even the first time he had done it. So, I don't know. I think I think King is the kind of writer where. He's so big and he looms so large over the landscape that there's always going to be a certain segment of the population that's taking the piss out of him just because, you know, he's one of the biggest names on the block. Uh, yes. I don't think I don't think the fact that it takes place, the, the story revolves around a Kindle and, 
you know, originally appeared on a Kindle has any diminishing pa- it, it diminishes the power of the story in any way, which to answer your original question, I yes. like a lot. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, exactly that. It, it, it tracks to, you know, the same criticisms he got for talking about Pepsi Cola and, and, and yeah, that's something I think he brought up when he came on the show that he was always kind of, kind of uh, knocked for that. And as Scott said, it's it's a realism thing. Uh, now I I can understand a little bit more at the time when the only way to get the story was to buy a a whole new brand new device. You Fair. know, uh, I can understand uh, some readers being butthurt about that. But you know, in this day and age when it's republished elsewhere, if you're still you know. I don't know. Sore about that. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. The story's the story. Yes. You know, if you don't like what he did, then guess what? There's about 5,000 other short stories and novellas, you know, that, yes. that he did the traditional way that you can, you can, uh, you can read for, for your, well, your well, there's the, uh, there's the country connection. We were talking about genres aging, uh, and kind of the way mm. that, um, art changes over time. Maybe this is why I like it so much is that, um, reading it now is so fascinating yeah. because um you don't you don't get that sort of direct connection to the Kindle on the Kindle exclusively for Kindle because um they're so ubiquitous now right. that um it really doesn't seem like a gag uh because uh, you know everyone has an e-reader so sure. uh at, you know at the time i actually in in preparation for this because i was i'm curious about two things one i went back on goodreads and wanted to read the reactions to the original publication versus kind of how it has changed right mm-hmm. um and so much of it when it came out was focused on the kindle exclusive kind of thing which is i, I think kind of it's a pretty clever gag to to write the story about this kind of um uh, existentially frightening new device being held in your hands, it, I, you know, outside of any advertising, I do think that it functions as a piece of art very well. Um, sure. But then as it goes on, uh, you know, that kind of, no one even kind of mentions that because it just, it, it has such a different context now. It's just a device. It's like, uh, you know, if someone wrote a story about a TV when, when before TVs were invented and now they wrote it, you know, these days and you say, oh, it's another dang uh, horse story about a TV set. Uh, so <laughs> right. it's it's just so interesting in that way. And then the second thing that I'm, I don't know the answer to this. I, I don't know if either of you do, but um, the version that I read was the original version, I I believe, because mm. I didn't read it out of Bizarre of Bad Dreams, which apparently was edited. Um, do, oh, interesting. Which, yeah, and I'm curious what's changed because there's a lot of kind of future predictions in, in it that that maybe not future predictions, but um, recent past kind of predictions and just kind of political stuff in it that now is such an interesting time capsule. Just the, mm. the talk about Hillary winning uh, and Obama. <laughs> Obama. There's a line in it about Obama doing the right thing and dropping out, uh, which I thought was such a funny <laughs> little... It's just very strange. And, and also, th- it did come out a year after the election, so it, it mm. is still in retrospect, but there's a tone to it that is such a time capsule that I think some might dislike but i love it i think it is just fascinating yeah um honestly i've never read it on a on a kindle i've never read it on an e-reader or anything i've only read it in bizarre bad dreams Mm. and 
I, I have a really hard time reading digitally, you know? Oh, okay. Like an article on my phone, I can, I can do that. But a, a book, I've, I've tried it, you know? Um, my ex-wife had a Kindle and, you know, tried to get me uh, interested in it. And I just, I, I can't do it. I need the heft of a book in my hand. Yes. You know? And yes. I like being, I like being able to see how far into the book I am just by just glancing at the, the side of the pages, you know, and, yes. she, you know, she very correctly pointed out, it'll tell you what your progress is and all that, but it's just not, it's not the same. And this is one of yeah. the one areas where I am not embracing the technology. Usually, usually I have no problem doing that. And I like, I like new gadgety kind of shit, yeah. but not with a, I can't oh do gosh. it with books. You sound just like Wesley. Uh, what's his face? I know. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically the plot of the story. I, I should clarify yeah. too. I, I don't. Um, I did audio book, but the audio book that I did was um, a solo kind of a solo download with the cover. It wasn't like a, a chapter right. of Bizarre Bad Dream. So actually, I guess technically I don't know which one I did, but I go audiobook first is is my preferred. And then I'm with you. I like a, a physical book and then ebook um at the bottom actually probably. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did the um I did the audiobook uh, as well for this and I believe that it was recorded the the version that we that we heard is recorded by uh, Holter Graham, who, funnily enough, he's the kid from Maximum Overdrive. Wow! Uh, did, yeah, did the oh reading. no shit. Yeah, did the reading for this, and he he fucking killed it. He he did a great job with it. Um, but uh, according to uh, the always dependable Wikipedia, that was recorded by Simon and Schuster in February of 2010, uh, okay, and then yeah. was just rolled in. So I think that that's the yeah, the that's version the that would be the closest the, to the one in the Kindle. But uh, before we go any further, Chuck, would you? This isn't a story that I get a feeling that a lot of even Super King fans are are very familiar with. And so I want to make sure everybody kind of knows what, what the plot is of this. Would you be willing to kind of run us? Oh run gosh, us through, yes. I might mess it up. So fill in the blanks, but Wesley is the, uh, the English professor uh, who uh, orders. Uh, well, he, he gets in a fight with his girlfriend. I, I can't remember her name uh hmm. but uh she's younger than him he's kind of a grumpy old uh, english professor uh and uh their fight kind of ends with uh, uh them breaking up and uh they're kind of fighting about literature because sh- she's making fun of him for not even getting on an e-reader and i that prompts him to order one off of uh, amazon uh and then he gets an e-reader but it is pink and uh, when he boots it up, uh, he he sees that it's a it's a version called the Ur Reader, which is a uh, uh, we come to find out uh, through kind of a series of uh, him uh, disc- going through and scrolling through the the various stores on it that the Ur Reader has access to books from other uh, parallel timelines of reality. Maybe that's why I like this book so much because mm-hmm. a lot of my writing uh, has to do with kind of mixing of timelines. Uh, and uh, so he, I believe he uh, is a big Hemingway fan. So he starts reading uh, Hemingway books from uh, after Hemingway's original death, looks up uh, Edgar Allan Poe uh, and goes through the book and then uh, discovers, I guess, New York Times uh, articles of parallel timelines and then local newspapers. And the local newspaper then reveals that uh, after a basketball tournament uh, that his uh, 
his ex-girlfriend now is coaching, is on the way back to town on a bus. There is a drunk driving accident and she dies. Um, and then he sets out to alter history uh, uh, after looking at this future newspaper to keep her from dying. Uh, he succeeds, uh, but not without a visit from um, some scary, uh, scary men in yellow coats uh, mm-hmm. who uh, kind of give him the what for about messing <laughs> with timelines. Uh, and then he kind of pulls out a pretty good point, which is, you know, they start talking about the dang dark tower uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and how he's messing with the plan. And he says, how the heck do you know this isn't the plan? I, I didn't mean to get this book. It, maybe the dark tower sent it to me. And they mm-hmm. kind of begrudgingly say, eh, good point, mortal. And then uh, kind of trot away. <laughs> uh, and, and a rare, uh, I feel like, Maybe not rare. Stephen King is pretty pretty even with this, but um, a, a happy ending also, which I think for <clears throat> yeah, stories yeah. like this is, uh, I, I would say, not expected. Right. Yeah, no, you kind of expect that at either he's not going to be able to change the events that, that he foresees or there's going to be some some crazy supernatural thing that comes out of left field and punishes him for it. Yeah, you. it, it definitely it, it feels odd that it, it ends uh, the way it does, in a good way. Like, I, like I, I agree with you that he doesn't typically get to pull, try out these happy endings. God, there's so much to talk about with this. The thing that I want to I wanna initially point out is that, so this is after he wrapped up the Dark Tower. This is a few years mm-hmm. after he wrapped up the Dark Tower series. And then he brings the Dark Tower. The matter of fact, the first image that pops up when the when the Kindle turns on is the that, you know, grayscale, you know, background that, that we all remember when from back in the day. Uh, but it's an image of the Dark Tower. And mm-hmm. and the second that happens, you're like, holy shit, it's a Dark Tower story. Um, but there's also in the timeline, this is like two years before the release of 112260. Yes. And this feels very much like a dry run of of that story, which is all about let's, you know, go. We have knowledge of future events and we can change it. And, you know, in in 112263, somebody from our time goes back in time uh, to change an event that had already happened here. He's changing an event that is going to happen. So it's slightly different, but it has the exact same feel of 112263 where he has to go like, oh, we can't do it right away. We can't just go kill Lee Harvey Oswald, because we have to be as close to the time that the thing's going to happen to make sure it doesn't happen. Yes. You know, we have to make sure there's, you know, it's, it's not something else or somebody else isn't just going to step in and, and be the, the, the doom, the destruction maker that you're trying to stop, you know? Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. Is that something that, that uh, stood out for, for you guys at all? Like that kind of twins were like, Holy shit, this is eleven twenty two sixty three. Yeah, that was <clears throat> that was definitely in my notes as something to talk about. In fact, I f- phrased it exactly as as you did that it was a dry run. Yeah, you know, conceptually, um, well, we're all well, up, baby. we've been doing this for so long. Yeah, and we noticed the same things. And I, you know, any time King writes something where it becomes evident that there is connective tissue to the Dark Tower, I get excited. Like, yeah, that shit will never get old to me. It's the Dark Tower stuff is you know ultimately like my favorite king stuff so of course i'm always happy for for it to pop up i can't imagine what non-dark tower readers made of this story Um, do i have a surprise for you (laughs) i i have never read the dark tower 
Oh, wow. Uh, and so I, I am aware. I mean, it is culturally, uh, you know, significant enough that I am aware of kind of the basics. I am aware of the point of it. And also, I will say, having read um, Insomnia, uh, I believe there's right. a, a bit of a Dark Tower connection in oh, that. There as is well. a very big one. Yeah. yeah and 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 also in this, I, I understand the gist of it. Uh, but, um, I still, like I said, I really like this story. And so even tangentially kind of understanding, um, you can kind of just, uh, place the dark tower as a sort of, uh, you know, force across multiple timelines, uh, and, and a sort of a, um, unknowable, uh, arbiter of fate, it seems like, uh, uh, and kind of understand it from there. So I kind of appreciate the amount that's included because um, I, I kind of didn't need to know if the dark tower didn't exist. I think this would work as a sort of um, you read it and you think, Oh, th- that's a mystery box that I'll never, never open. Sure. And I it's supposed to just be very otherworldly and strange. Um, so I, I do still, uh, I still liked it. I, I will say to go back to your, um, uh, your comments of, um, uh, book, I, I'm just gonna call it the JFK book. Cause I never remember what the actual <laughs> the date and title it, the numbers <laughs> yeah. are, but, um, uh, I, I got that as well. Having not read the book, I, I kind of, I know that that that's what it is. I also, right. um, uh, think, you know, uh, speaking of, uh, insomnia, I think a lot of Stephen King books, uh, he has a, a theme of inevitability. Mm. Uh, and so that's, I think this was almost a twist ending to me in that it was a twist happy ending because he deals with this kind of inevitable fate so much. And mm-hmm. it and it ends up being so dark so often that and maybe that's another reason. I just, it, the mm. ending really struck me that um, that it didn't go in that direction. It's also kind of an addiction story as well, because uh, uh, our lead, Wesley, at a certain point, like realizes this could be a real problem for him having unlimited access to an infinite number of works, you know, books, because this is a, a dude obsessed with books. And so this would be like for the movie equivalent, if, if we got a device, Scott, it was a Netflix that could access, you know, Spielberg movies that have never happened. Or, right, right. You know, or you know, say fucking Orson Welles, you know, lived another 10 years and turned out another, you know, a a genius. Like we would never leave the house. We would always be watching that shit. Uh, And so like for, uh, for this to be an addiction story on top of that, you know, uh, what you made mention of Chuck about the, you know, the inevitability, you know, something inevitable is coming. Uh, The fact that it's both of those things and it still has a happy ending, you're right, is is really out of step for King. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. But in a good way, like in because usually his addiction stories, the character will a lot of times not overcome it, but sometimes they will. But it it hardly ever still ends where everybody's happy and and their roses. They don't walk away. uh, They they never walk away unscathed. Yes. And, and and I would say that this is is a rare case. I mean, just looking at at the story if if you're asking, you know, given everything you just said, would I want my own uh, er uh Kindle? Yeah. Heck yes, I would. Of course. You know, I'm not going to I maybe I'm not going to uh, uh disobey the paradox functions, 
But um, uh, and <laughs> hey, maybe that's why. Uh, maybe that's the maybe the, the, we're validating the critique that it's just a dang Amazon advertisement because <laughs> I am I am coming away from it thinking, oh, that that sounds pretty dang good. <laughs> What if I order a Kindle and I get the Air version? But, yes. Well, so, okay. We, you know, we briefly, I, I guess, right before recording, kind of talked about this. Um, mm. uh, of course. Well, I, I'm going to start by saying this. Um, here's my one critique, uh, mm. my biggest critique uh, that I find frustrating and unbelievable is that I love um, any story that kind of breaks the fourth wall or plays with format. And that's why I like this Kindle story on the Kindle. Um, but um, I will say the fact that um, uh, Stephen King doesn't write himself into this book mm. is, is frustrating to me. It's the only, mm. that's the, I dock it. How it's a, it's a four and a half star for me. And I dock it <laughs> because um, you know that he thought about that because it, how would you not? Uh, you know, and, and then he's, uh, Wesley in the book is going through all these authors. I, I say if in reality, if you gave an, er, uh, Kindle to anyone, 97, 8% of them would immediately look up the book. Stephen King never wrote. He's (laughs) one of the most popular authors of all time. And the fact that it's not even mentioned it, it like not, it doesn't even cross his mind. I find to be very unrealistic. Well, (laughs) I have a pretty good response to that. Okay. Let's hear it. But I, but I can't really tell you. Um, oh well, does it have to I, do with the Dark Tower crossover? Because yeah. I know I know about that. I just I didn't realize that there was anything. So I guess is the implication that this book takes place on a timeline that Stephen King doesn't exist. I think that I think that he was. How do I put this? You can spoil <laughs> it for. I honestly, you really can't. I'm. I'm. Curious. Okay. Well, for anyone else that's listening. Um, yes. the earmuffs. If dark you Tower the, earmuffs. The Dark Tower series. Um, yeah, he appears as a character in the Dark Tower series and becomes like sort of a linchpin in the last few books of the of the series. And so my immediate reaction is, well, he was probably saving that for the books themselves that play in that particular card. Um, or he only wanted it to exist there if this was written after those came out. I'm not entirely sure. I guess it was yeah. after. Um, but the fact that it's so connected to the dark tower, kind of like, I don't know. I, I see, I see what you're saying, but Even, I just, I, I think what I, I'm, he wouldn't I have think to it might muddy the waters in terms of what he would already done. I guess yeah. I can't I, I comment th- too much without reading the dark tower. What do you I think, think? I think that there, I think there's a, a simpler explanation and that's the fact that our main character is a, is a literary, uh, literature snob. So wow. he would be looking oh. up. He, he, he'd be looking up Hemingway and Poe and like the classics. He wouldn't be looking up the popular authors. You know, that's interesting. Fair. That's actually that's a pretty that's a pretty good explanation. It's also kind of a a bit of a self deprecating joke. Yeah, and, uh, it sure and, is. and there there actually are quite a few in this. I think. Um, but if he was going to do that, I think it'd be even funnier if he kind of made fun of himself in that way and mention it. Right. I'm, I'm kind of, I am talking, uh, you know, so my next, uh, I have bury your gaze coming up. That's my next mm-hmm. horror novel. And it is about 
creation. It's about a screenwriter, um, but it is a, uh, it's very fourth wall. It's very self-referential. And there's, um, uh, while uh, uh, Chuck Tingle does not appear in the book, it, it's about, there's things that are Charles Tingle. There's just, (laughs) there's some jokes that I can't give away or kind of references that are very, uh, the equivalent of, of if King put himself in the, in the Kindle. And so I just love, I, I find um, pushing the past the frame of the picture uh, or, or stepping outside of the medium to create art that is kind of larger than uh, just the medium in a sort of Dadaist sense. That is one of my favorite things ever. So I think it's a personal frustration uh, that he doesn't even mention you know, it to electric boogaloo uh, <laughs> right, right. Uh, does drive me a little nuts. But um, th- that being said, uh, oh, I was going to say the other the other funny joke, self-deprecating joke is the fact that this um, this uh, literature professor uh, who's always struggling to write his novel uh, looks up mm-hmm. the timelines to see what what book he wrote and finds that on every single timeline he's never written a novel. Oh. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's very funny. I, I love that, and I also love that that he just accepts it. And that's another. That's probably the first time that this this story caught me by surprise because. Um, I I can't remember if I read it when it came out. It felt like a, a brand new read to me when I when I uh, listened to the the audiobook last night. Um, but uh, so I don't know if, if it impacted me the same way if if I did read it when it came out. Uh, I didn't have a Kindle until I don't know a couple of years in a, in this run, so maybe I never read it up until now. Um, but anyway, I uh, that that really kind of threw me for a loop because I was kind of anticipating it going in a yesterday kind of direction where you have the struggling writer who's always wanted to be a writer and now he has the access to you know this Hemingway novel that that never was released and what if he just transcribes it you know and just word for word you know put slaps his name on it and takes it out you know and he has a moment where he when he realizes he's never been published where I'm like aha this is this is where it goes this is where he's going to be depressed about this and instead he he's kind of freed by it and going well, it just wasn't meant to be, and I don't really feel the need. Yes. I think they even one of the other characters brings it up, and he's just like, "Nah, it would be hollow." You know, it's like I don't, need, I don't need to do that. You he, know, it's he, like I'm, there's I, a yeah. there's an interesting thread of a uh, uh, morality. You are right. I did that really stuck out to me too, where he said he kind of thinks, "Oh, I could just publish this Hemingway novel as my own," and mm-hmm. immediately says. Oh no, I can't do that. Which is either the sign of a of a moral character or a sign that Stephen King was thinking, I- I'm getting paid to write a short story, not a <laughs> uh, not a novel. So uh, <laughs> so let's uh, let's not uh, un- unravel too many of these threads. But um, yeah, that is a uh, that is interesting. My my question was, uh, I gosh, I I'm sorry, I dang ramble. But to get back to my question, yes, what what um what authors would you mm. look up on your or Kindle? Lovecraft for one. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, uh, which obviously problematic author, problematic author, you know, but, <clears throat> but I'd love to see if there were any, any further Cthulhu mythos stories yes. or, you know, anything like that. A, a modern author that I would look up who I'd be very curious to see what he's doing in other timelines is uh, 
Mark Z. Danielewski, who mm. wrote House of Leaves. Oh yeah, um, because he doesn't have he's he's. I can only think of two books of his. I don't know if he has more, but he he does not publish very often. Correct? No, he started a series, a very ambitious series called, I believe, The Familiar. Um, maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Uh, you know, don't crucify me on that if I've got the dates wrong, listeners. But um, it was planned to be like. I think it was something like there were going to be 20 books in this series or something gigantic, you wow. know, and okay. and he got however many books into it, not like single digit numbers. Uh, I want to say it was like three or four or something like that. And I what I gather from my dim memory of the time was that the interest wasn't there to justify completing this gigantic. Yes, project. that's a that's a very you got to be careful when you announce when you announce the big projects, you're going to end up with uh, four novels or like uh, dang Sufjan Stevens with uh, with two of the 50 states having yeah. uh, albums about them. Yeah, it's a it's a slippery slope. But uh, Daniel Levski's nothing if not ambitious, you know, so yes. it, it strikes me as very much a thing that 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 guy would do. But I think he is the time I've spent interacting with him and the, the, when he came on the show. Uh, I find him to be one of the most effortlessly brilliant people I've ever spoken to. Interesting. Okay. Like the way his right. brain works is very different than the way my brain works. And so it's just a pleasure to yes. read his stuff and to listen to what he has to say, because it's in no way like whatever I would, however wow. I would have reacted. Yeah. Well, I can't right. imagine the mind that um, plotted House of Leaves. I know, Honestly. Right? Yes. So, yeah. so I'd be curious to see what he's got going on. I, and I would like more stuff of his to read. So <laughs> yeah, um, that's the real secret. You just, yeah. just want all the alternate dimensions and timelines just give you more, more of a, his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll sit with those. Uh, Vespi, what, what about you? I mean, obviously, you know, we, we kind of made mention right at the top, like everybody else, Stephen King would be the first person I'd look up. Um, but he's the author that I've, you know, I've he's the only author that I've obsessed over, right? And like read every single thing. I'd I'd probably check in on Crichton, see what Crichton. Oh, uh, that's a good one. Uh, alternate really Crichton sto- stories, especially it'd be especially interesting in this scenario reading these, you know, science fiction authors, right? Maybe oh, Asimov, yes. like Lovecraft, would be high on the list. Uh, I like the instinct here where they went to Shakespeare, you know, and they found like two stories that came out, and there's a timeline where he died you know, two or three years later than, than, uh, than he died in almost all the other ones. And there's like two, two plays that, that he had written, uh, in that time. And, um, you know, that, that I find really interesting. Uh, I think the dangerous part of this to me would be, would be looking at the news stuff and getting sucked in, sucked into the, the alternate, you know, news uh, Mm -hmm. angle of it. But, um, but in terms of authors, that's, that's kind of where I would go. I mean, King, King first, and then, you know, than those others that I mentioned, uh, Chuck, do you have a, yes. well, I, you know, I, so it's, it's interesting. I think that if you're thinking kind of the way my brain works is always, so I always pull apart things logically, uh, and try, yeah. almost try to game theory them. Um, right. so, so really if, if you're kind of limiting your options, you got to think someone who either has a, a lot of works, but they're so big that everyone knows them a Shakespeare or a King where there is Mm -hmm. a lot of work, but they are so kind of um, ingrained in uh, a 
academia almost that mm. a new piece from them would be fascinating. Um, right. And so for me personally, that that's probably HP Lovecraft. I, I really love HP Lovecraft. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he is a very problematic uh, author, uh, had a lot of pretty vile opinions about things. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I think what's kind of fascinating about that uh, is um is kind of thinking, wow, gosh, I wonder if there's timelines where he he is not as problematic. You know, yeah. I wonder what's the progressive HP Lovecraft timeline yes. look like. Right? Uh, and is that is that a different genre? Does, is right. he even a horror writer in in these in these roles? Because so much of so much of what he wrote was a a fear of the other. You know, right. he he was sure. so xenophobic that um, that that was the ultimate fear for him. And, and it, and it kind of became things from other worlds that you can't understand. And so it, it's, you know, you think, well, what is HP Lovecraft without, without all that xenophobia uh, is, mm-hmm. is, is a curious uh, question. Um, another, you know, I, I don't talk about, it's funny cause I'm so much more influenced by um, kind of film and music and, and things. I, I really don't read that much. I'm reading a lot more lately, but um, when I was younger, it was King. And also um, another pseudo problem, kind of, he's a bit of a scoundrel. I won't say, definitely not H.P. Lovecraft problematic, but um, right. but Brett Easton Ellis, I would be mm, very right. curious uh, about some of his uh, other works. Uh, right. Having been a young buckaroo who uh, read uh, American Psycho at a young age, um, and and that that kind of brings me to the other point of um, a, an author uh, who hasn't released very much. You know, yeah, some someone with very few books, I think, is another one where you can kind of go in and uh, really get a lot of bang for your buck. And Brett Easton Ellis does not release books very often. Um, I, I honestly, after hearing everyone's answers, I kind of think that the the most bang for your buck, other than like a Shakespeare, um, actually Michael Crichton, what you said, that's yeah. a pretty dang smart one because um, – Popular enough to kind of be everyone knows every single Michael Crichton book in some way, or most of them, but also right. um, kind of fewer books than you'd expect for someone as as popular and right. as big as him. Um, mm-hmm. And also kind of um, died, uh, you know, kind of recently, definitely could have had a timeline where there was another 20 book. years yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. and he's also smart enough to to like you're not going to have the majority of timelines where it's somebody who just got lucky or in, inspired at the right point like Crichton was such a smart guy that he would have in pretty much any scenario would have been turning out work so you would have you know an infinite number of of uh of Crichton style you know yes to, to listen to I or to watch um sorry or to read let, let me do that again. But um, but okay. So you mentioned that you 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 grew up a movie more inspired by movies, and and I think everybody here like are more movie geeks than they are literary geeks. Sure. What so say you got your version of Ur was you got access to a Netflix account that would give you that would have categories of uh uh you know where you could have an infinite number of of films from you know going back to the you know the dawn of cinema. And now, like, I think that a lot of what we've been discussing would would still 
be at the forefront would it not like the the idea of you would find these giant populists like a spielberg and what are the alternate spielberg movies oh yeah or you would find the people like kubrick who didn't make nearly enough movies while they were alive but everything that they did you know was a, a masterpiece in some way shape or form right yes so it's like, like would who, who would be the first one yeah I, I i think i mean you hit kubrick and spielberg um you know are 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 pretty great choices. I feel like there's a difference in the answer for um, kind of what is the best choice uh, kind of for, for arts and what is the best choice for, for kind of uh, personally Um, there's a sort of era of, um, of uh, 80s slasher that um, Uh frustrates me that there's only a a finite amount of Friday, the 13th and nightmare on Elm streets and Uh Halloween's. Um, I, I'm curious about kind of um, alternate slashers, uh, maybe mm. a Wes Craven without uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, mm. You know, what, just kind of wh- where those those things go. I I, right. I honestly I find myself most. I was thinking mostly about music with it. Uh, if mm. it was kind of an an iPod, I thought. Right. I thought um, you know a lot of I do listen to a lot of kind of. Um, uh, older bands that that do have a limited amount of recordings that I have have kind of listened into the ground. So you know, another Talking Heads record would oh, would kind of be wonderful. Right. And then someone like uh, Radiohead, who uh, you know, uh-huh. I, I know every single Radiohead album front to back. So um, entirely new catalogs of these right. bands. I think what what does the seventies the seventies output of the Beatles look like? Oh right? my god! What if they didn't break up? up in you know 1970 incredible what, you know it's like would their anger towards each other would that that have manifested in oh, the music yes. you know so many like early deaths stuff. uh yeah. nirvana you right? know uh sure. a, i guess Hendrix be, and, yeah mm-hmm. that's that so that's um you know as i kind of mentioned i think stephen king thought well this is a short story so uh, yes <laughs> let's uh kind of take things down but um yeah that, that would have been a really funny ending by the way to the story is like he meets up with the the ex-girlfriend she's holding up the sign that says i love you it you know there's hope for the future and then she's like hey you know you need to uh you know your your ipod is dead you should order a new one and he inputs the wrong credit card number again and Genius. suddenly gets a pink ipod mini that is he's perfect. like no not again <laughs> yes. Yeah, touched on this idea a moment ago, but didn't really explore it. The idea of, you know, if Wesley in the story were to publish writing from these alternate dimensions by mm-hmm. masterful authors as his own, and he immediately turns that down. I don't think I don't think I would have the 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 nerve to to do that. It, it just seems like crosses a, a, a line for me morally. But yes, something I would do with this thing that does not cross a line for me more morally is using it like the sports almanac from Back to the Future Two to look up ah. news headlines and fucking bet on things. And that, I'm gonna that, 100% yes. do that shit. Yeah, I I also I'm not going to dock a full star for it, but that is my other criticism. Is um I know it's kind of cliche. Uh, I mean, what with Back to the Future and all, but mm-hmm. uh, but it's cliche for a reason. It's because everyone would do that. You know, mm, that, right. that's not it's not a cliche because it's a bad idea. It's literally what everyone would do. And that is kind of just not even a thought in this, which uh, I think is a little strange. 
Well, it, that that whole concept of being able to see headlines from the future is only introduced right at the end, where he kind of notices yes. that there's a way more expensive subscription uh, that you can get where you can download, you know, you type in a date and you can download the local uh, headline. He's like, oh, you know, for shits and giggles, like he he down, gets his like 10 downloads for for, you know, 100 bucks or whatever the fuck he pays for it. And uh, he's like, well, I've already done it. You know, I, I might as well see what the headline for tomorrow is, see if my girlfriend's team wins the game. And that's when when he sees the uh, the accident um, yes. headline. I think that that maybe if the Loman hadn't shown up and taken his Kindle, that maybe that would have been more of a an, an issue for me that he doesn't explore that because the temptations there. If you have this device where you can just type in, you know, the date of the guy, the fucking Super Bowl, you yes. know, and, you know, and, and uh, or the day after the Super Bowl and like be able to to, to bet on that shit. Uh, everybody would would be tempted. Everybody yes. would be tempted. I think I think when yeah. that uh, when that little alert popped up and said you have ten downloads, I would be thinking, okay, uh, a one million dollar bet on the Rams. Uh, then <laughs> then that's a two million dollar bet. How many do we get to ten? I think that's mm-hmm. the first thought that a lot of Buckaroos might might have. Sure. Yeah. I don't know how you would. I don't know how you would stop yourself from doing it. That's a level of morality that I I can't even imagine. Yes. Like well, it's because uh, you're you're taking the money from like fucking casinos and bookies and shit. You're not. You know. There, sure. There's that is that is true. You would be. It would be coming. It'd be from righteous. The, it would yeah, honestly. It at, at a certain point, it would be coming from the the casinos insurance company. So, yes. <laughs> you know, that that's probably fine. I another um kind of moral question that this poses. So for me, uh, uh, uh what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in there and see uh okay, Chuck Tingle books. Uh and then I'm going to say, well, is it unethical for me to release these novels of mine from other right. realities? Uh I wrote them. Yeah, uh, you know, so if I copy those and release those over here, uh, is that uh, immoral? I don't know. I don't think it is. No, I think it's I think it's a chewy question, you know, and I'm sure yes. that there are some people would say, no, it's not this version of you. You don't know what is impacting the personality of that version of you. And so therefore it is not actually you. But I, I would give that a pass. You know, it's copying yeah. from yourself. It's self plagiarism. Yeah, it, well, the, it is, like how close is that to to you know maybe two or three generations down the road of Chat GPT, right? Of just like ex, you train you train your yourself, AI yeah. program to to study your work and then you know say all right now go make me something and then you redo it. It's, it does get a little murky, but I my instinct on that is like fuck no. That one, there's no victim, and two, you you did it. It is you. It may be an alternate version of you, but it is yes. I guess it that, is your work. You're not trying to pass off Shakespeare as yourself. The you philosophical know? question there is uh, is is you from a different timeline? Uh, you uh, you know the sentience there is that you? Uh, it, that's the philosophical question. I don't mm. think, technically speaking, it is because we are a product of our environment and our upbringing and a million other tiny little things that we're not even really cognizant of on a day-to-day basis. I might see <clears throat> I might see a really shitty movie trailer in the morning and be in a bad mood that day that causes me to do something that I might not normally have done because, you know, I was in a sour mood for some stupid reason, you know, and that 
me in that timeline is a dipshit who has allowed yes. something very, very small and insignificant to influence his mood into making a poor choice somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, um, whereas this version of me might not give a shit, you know, yes. um, you know, little tiny things like that can mm. inform who you are as a human being and, and what your disposition is. Yes. So I am inclined. See, I, I agree with that. I'm inclined to think uh, that it is a separate that it is a separate entity. So therefore, I don't know if I am as cut and dry on the it's okay to copy from. Mm -hmm. I think honestly, where you where you win me over, uh, although I think it's a separate entity, it it would absolutely be a victimless crime. Right. So yeah. at, and that, it wouldn't at be... that point, I'm like, well, even if it is a different entity, it is me. I, there's something about it where I would still feel okay. Yeah, yeah, and you're also representing like ninety nine percent you anyway, right? Or ninety eight. You would judge it based on you'd read it yourself and go, "This is absolutely my voice. This is what I would be doing anyway." But then, like I said, you get in that weird like fucking AI conversation where it's like that's kind of what you know. Uh, yes, AI is kind of going towards where it's okay. like, yes, this is my voice, but it's not me having written it. You know, I'll grant that it's similar, but in the yeah. scenario we're talking about, we are talking about two human beings. Both with souls, not a not yeah. a computer. You know, a better comparison might be clones. Uh, right. a, clo a clone yes. of yourself. Right. Um, does does your clone uh, have uh, the same rights that you do? And is the clone? I guess the question really is: is is your clone you? Uh, that's such a big philosophical thing I to unravel. Don't think a clone is you. I definitely don't. Okay. No. Especially like like assuming a clone is made in a lab and then raised by another family that's absolutely not going to be it might look exactly like me, yes. but it's not me i think i get caught up on on a clone exists in the same universe dimension as you do and this other thing other version of you you're not taking something from another version of you that then they do not get to uh, benefit from you know what i mean so it's like it, i i think that's where it becomes gray like even if it if it feels like you you take it from somebody it's not like that person can then not you know have published this and benefited you know in you know their career or monetarily or whatever from this this piece of material whereas if you had a clone and you stole their book uh that they had written uh that then they cannot and put your name on it then they could not you know uh benefit from from their own work you know what i mean yes Wow. So, Speaking of uh we're talking about what a tangent uh our country music talk was uh, <laughs> who who could have prepared us for the deep clone dive? The deep we're clone on, morality. We're still, on, yeah. still on topic here. Folks. Yes. Yeah, we're doing good. I have a dark tower question for Scott. You know, sorry, sure. Chuck, I named it at you too, but you you don't. Well, you don't I would give the got, perspective of someone who has no idea what's going on. I got confused a little bit by the low men and what their goals were because, and maybe this is me, you know, not having revisited the final three books in a long time. Uh, uh, I'm actually about two thirds of the way through wolves of the Kala now uh, in preparation for a potential uh, episode on that by the end of the year. Uh, hint, hint. Um, so uh, I'm in the middle of it now, but when the low men showed up, I got confused because they seemed to be agents of the tower, not agents of the crimson King, even though they were wearing, his sigil you know what i mean so i and maybe i got it muddied in my mind but i i'd always assumed that the low men were working to destroy the tower not enforce its laws and that's they seem to be 
working to enforce and protect the tower. And they kept saying for, you know, all things serve the dark tower and, and things yet they were wearing the crimson Kings sigil. Am I, am I crazy for, for like being thrown for a little bit of a loop there that the low men were actually working to protect the order of the tower versus trying to destroy it? Well, it depends on, it depends on like what, how much, what happens in Wesley's world affects the plan mission to save the tower. Right. I I think is the answer. And so, so it's like, yeah, it might seem like they're working on its behalf, but actually it might be just everything's supposed to play out in a certain way in order to make sure that their mission is successful. And by doing this, you could create a butterfly effect that might fuck up our plans. Having no idea. Dark tower nerd. nerd No, no. Having no idea about any of that i can only imagine um extra variables in any plan would be a bit of a nuisance yeah right. especially across dimensions and timelines yes. and you know um, that's that story is monkeying around with all that stuff so right well I mean, maybe on, 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 well on, on a similar note maybe you you both can help me with this uh and my understanding uh more dark tower talk but a kind of a outside the tower um so in insomnia um are the are the men are the little doctors with the long coats are those um the low men in in the long coats what is the relationship no, no. okay they just both really love their fashion and their long coats well, they're dressed like doctors, specifically. Yes. They're wearing lab coats. They're, you know, okay, so some... those are just lab coats. Those are not the yellow coats. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're, more, they're more like the fates, right? That's yes. The... Yeah, they're supposed to be the fates. And okay. I don't know. I assume the doctor get-ups are just for the surgery that they're performing. Just on, the aesthetic. On, yes. Yes. Life, right. Yeah, life essences. But no, the, the low men are a very particular thing and a, a okay. different thing. Okay, okay. You know? Yes. Um, the Low Man, have you read From a Buick 8? I have not. Okay. Have you read Hearts in Atlantis? No, but I have heard that that's a very direct connection, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, both of those have, both of those feature Low Men in Yellow Coats, both of those yeah. stories. Okay. Hearts in um, Atlantis like introduces them, I believe, right? I don't think that they were a thing. Yeah. Wow. That's okay. our lore until. Because when Hearts I see, Atlantis, I, yeah. when I think of Hearts, uh, I, I think of um, the, was it a made for TV movie or just a no, movie? No. It was, it was a, a movie, movie movie. And with was Anthony that Hopkins Anthony Hopkins? And, yep, um, and Anton Yelchin, yeah. Did that movie do well, or was everyone just very confused uh, because of this well, Dark Tower connection? None mm. of the Dark Tower shit is in the movie. Oh, okay. I, that That's what, can, whenever I hear about that connection, I always think, the Anthony Hopkins movie? There's these yeah. guys running around in the they, they were movie? supposed to be. In, in the movie, they're pretty much just FBI agents or whatever, hunting down a, a, a psychic old man. Um, okay. In, in, in the book, you know, they're hunting him down for a very specific reason because uh, he his powers can be used to assist in toppling the Dark Tower. So, yeah. Yes. Wow. They, they just make him generic though. FBI guys. Yeah, I love I love the idea of these like weird dudes who their faces don't fit entirely and they're riding around in these like, you know, what basically look like pimp Cadillacs dressed (laughs) like fucking Huggy Bear and, you know, (laughs) putting up lost pet posters and shit. Yeah, Yeah. it's such a it's such a bizarre concept that I love the low men so much. Anytime they pop up in a thing, I get, you know, I guess that's Dark Tower stuff and I get excited by dark tower connective tissue right. but particularly the low men they're just a great creation yes yes 
We got to get you reading the Dark Tower, Chuck. Yeah, well, you know, so this is a this is a great example of my favorite Stephen King. I think the first time I came on, what I talked about is how you know his writing style, especially with these very thick, long books that are just you kind of exist in them. Uh, they kind of wash over you, and you. Um, they are so big that you almost remember like the time in your life that you were reading them. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh-huh. and that's kind of the beautiful thing about them. And then at the same time, he has so many of these short stories and my favorite kind of, it's, it's hard to say, I don't, I won't say my favorite, but lately what I am really dang into is going in for the rare short stories. I'm, I go on the library. I look up mm-hmm. what is the most kind of overlooked Stephen King short story. That's kind of why I chose this one is I've just been listening to all these weird kind of stories that I think eventually, eventually they're going to get collected and put out as a, as a novella or a, or a, you know, a collection. But um, mm-hmm. before that happens, that is my thing. So lately I have been going in and reading the short. So, you know, if you, if you guys want me to come back for blockade, Billy, you know who to call. <laughs> Well, you should uh, really go on the hunt for this really rare one called Alan's Penis. We had a uh, is that a, had, is that a, real? <laughs> no, no. Oh. <laughs> this Don't is, waste Chuck's time. This is well, no. This is how this is how you know my. Th- here's the perfect example. Some yeah. sometimes buckaroos don't believe me when I say that all of the erotic tingleverse is sincere and not not a not a comedy bit. Um, mm-hmm. If you ever wanted proof, it's that you could say you gotta look up Stephen King's story, Alan's penis, and and my instant thought was, okay, let me write this one down. That sounds like a <laughs> that is a perfect example of how my sensibilities are very different than than most buckaroos yeah we had a recent <laughs> episode with uh, ben meckler who is a known prankster of of uh some degree and uh we wanted to bring a bit a bit of chaos onto the show and we said you know hey uh come on you can talk about any any king related thing you want and we won't know what it what it is until we're actually on the air with you you can just blindside oh, us fun. Anything. yeah and so he came on and he he pitched this entire short story that he claimed was in like a gentleman's magazine from like 6970 and Mm -hmm. spent about half an hour building up to the reveal that the title of this thing was Alan's penis. At which point I was like, this motherfucker, like, like that that was the tip off. But up until then he had, he definitely had me going for a while. Yes. If you just changed the title. There's a way to do it. A lot of these, you just gotta say, "Oh, it there." They were all, um, they were all in Playboy. That's the funny. That's like the trope of the old Stephen King short story. Mm-hmm. They're all in an, an old issue of Playboy. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think I can see how you could kind of make up a, a, a an old overlooked gem. I that that is those fascinate me. I do I do really like uh, I do really like finding those. I do I also kind of get disappointed when they get collected. When when I realized this was in Bizarre Bad Dreams, I thought, oh dang, I I I kind of wanted to be the weird Kindle exclusive one. <laughs> well, I, I mean, listen, man. I think you still picked a title that uh, that isn't in the forefront of most. Definitely not the most casual Stephen King readers, and I think even for the most hardcore yes. Stephen King readers, like Bizarre Bad Dreams is a collection that's often 
overlooked. Like nobody really talks about. I don't know if there's like even a standout story. Like almost all these collections have their standout story because usually because they get adapted into something big. Yes. Well, Um, three of the three of the most recent ones that I have read, just finding weird little stories, are all collected mm -hmm. in in that um, morality and. and and blockade billy uh i i read both of those and and those ended up in uh bizarre bad dreams i i actually really like both of those um blockade billy i can understand i that has got to be one of his lowest rated goodread (laughs) scores um but i i actually i i like it i don't know it's 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 a uh, baseball thing right it is and i think that the issue with it is that um it it really builds up to be a supernatural. Gosh, I, let me just say really quickly: blockade Billy spoilers. I don't know how many buckaroos out there are, <laughs> are worried about that, but it builds up to be. Um, it really feels like it's going to have an incredible supernatural reveal, and the reveal is is very natural. And I think that's why so many are disappointed by it is that it's, um, there's nothing supernatural in it and that's kind of the reveal. Uh, and so I, I think that, uh, a lot of people thought, oh, well, that's a little disappointing. Um, but for me, uh, kind of like this, where it has the happy ending, I, I, I liked it because I thought, wow, the twist is, is kind of that there's no twist. I kind of like that. Right. Yeah. I'm looking over a, list of the stories in bizarre bad dreams and i know i have this book and i know Mm -hmm. i've read most of these but i would be hard pressed to tell you what a lot of them are about i recognize them by title and that's about it and i don't think i actually read blockade billy because i thought it you know it's a sports thing and you know i'm not typically interested in yes well what's it i you know i i am i i am medium into sports not not a fanatic and not not so much baseball but um uh it it actually does it's i i kind of like it uh regardless and it's written in a very weird uh format it is written from the perspective of someone at a the bartender at a hotel bar talking directly to Stephen King so uh so he says that when you're reading it he'll say well Mr. King I'm not an author like you um and you the reader are being talked to so it's 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 very uh strange uh perspective and that kind of makes it interesting too yeah well, now I'm interested to read it. <laughs> I mean, it's me really, that. it's really, really short. So it's, it's, yeah. you could just re- read it in the afternoon and think that's really good. And then morality, the other one that I read from that, um, is, is really, I really like that one too. I thought it was fantastic. Um, mm. that, that's the one about the, the old man who's dying and his, his last wish is, will you please, uh, go, uh, punch a child in the face? Yes, uh, I yes. remember that one. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, and I think maybe that and, was and an before 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 that dude's death croak hit. Scott Scott has already punched like three children just to. <laughs> well, you know sure. I, that's my my critique of that one. When it when it when I was reading it, I thought, wow, this is really like Stephen King can go dark. But they're building mm-hmm. up. I thought, oh, this is really dark. They're going to um, maybe slash. I thought it was going to be like a knife thing, like and and the child would have a scar forever or something. But mm-hmm. um, they they punch the kid, which is bad. Now, all the <laughs> listeners, I'm not condoning punching a child. But the way it's built up, I thought, oh, okay. Um, and then they're kind of questioning. 
well, is the kid going to remember that? Does, does he even know really what's going on? It's, it's, it's strange in that way, but I still really, uh, I really enjoyed it. Mm. Huh. Well, I'd like to revisit that one. I'd, I'd forgotten yeah. all about that story, but yeah, yeah. I yeah. remember it now for sure. I'll also highlight my lady one, which I think is the story that, that kicks off that collection. And that's one of my favorites of probably in the last like 10, 15 years of oh, King wow. short stories. That's which, the, which one is it? It's called My Lady One. It, that's the one where there's like uh, a car that eats people that's parked off of like the my, exit 81 off of oh, the turnpike yes, yes, or whatever. Yes. And so it's like essentially this alien car with the doors open and people like go in and it's like a Venus flytrap and it just eats people. And so as more and more people pull up trying to help, they're, the line of cars ends up going to, all the way down the turnpike. Oh, that's very you know? funny. Um, and, uh, Stephen King yeah, and his, yeah. speaking of King tropes, God, yeah. we got to get a dang celebrity death match with Christine versus uh, the mile 81 car. Yeah. Right. And the truck from and, Maximum Overdrive. And, the yeah. and then the, I guess the Buick 8, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Buick 8 <laughs> as well. This loves a killer car. Yeah. yeah so that, that's a great bonus episode, Scott. You need to write that down. Like who who wins in the Stephen King evil car death match? Yes. Yeah, and you got to let idea. um you got to get a uh, kind of a wild card with Joe Hill and do uh, the Nosferatu uh, right. car. <laughs> yeah. From the top ropes. <laughs> so, is there is there anything else we want to talk about in relation to hmm. her that we have not already touched on? Hmm. I I you know what? I, I think we would pretty for the for the length of that story yeah i think we got yeah. some dang diamonds out of that oh yeah absolutely yeah no i i touched every on everything that i wanted to bring up uh, i think that there might be an alleyway with um how he uses wesley as like i love the whole old school and new school and how idea of the story and how with colleagues you want to be new school but like with his students like being a what he, i think he calls a teachable old school uh be is like a doorway into you know and having them engage in in his his lessons um i don't know if there's like a a big like oh great we got 20 minutes to to talk about on that but that that was just an aspect of the story that i i really liked about you know how this this uh fucking literary professor uh secretly it's just like yeah I'm, I'm kind of you know rebelling against the idea of new technology but he's like i'm also really intrigued by it because it's he's he loves books more than anything and so he he's both he both has that kind of um you know and i suffer for this as like a physical media guy it's like i do love streaming you know but i always prefer physical media it just looks better and the same thing can be said for people who prefer records you know over you know uh, uh compressed uh streaming music and and all that Yes. Um, so uh, I don't know. There, there. That that one tickled me, and like I saw myself a lot in this guy. Where you know, uh, I'm very technologically forward, but you know, much like Scott, e-readers don't really appeal to me. You know, I'm I'm kind of old school in a lot of ways. So I, I, there, I, I like how he balanced that. Is there any new piece of technology in let's say the last ten years, Chuck, that you have been adamant against adopting yourself? Oh, um. Definitely AI is the first thing that comes to sure, mind. Sure, sure. Uh, and, uh, I mean, you know, you, we could you could do dang, two hours on that. I think mostly uh, the open source stuff where it's um, where it's trained on other people's stuff. I, I kind of I wouldn't I don't think I'd use it because I uh, even if it was trained on sort of a closed 
system. I think that that's probably, uh, well, not probably, I think that's more ethical than just taking other people's things. Um, But uh, even on a closed system, I enjoy the creation so much that um, I I still don't think I would be interested in that uh, because, Mm. uh, you know, for me, when I'm, when I'm writing all these, these tinglers, I write so much, you know, and I always have a dang new book coming out. Um, And the reason a lot of it, you know, is because that's just kind of my state of being is to create these things. So, you know, I guess I, I did say earlier, I would copy from myself in another timeline, but maybe if I was really faced with that, I, I, maybe I wouldn't because I, I just like creating. So, um, yeah. you know, I think that, um, that's kind of the one thing that I just, uh, have not, uh, adopted. I'm trying to think if there's, um, if there's anything else that I just kind of cannot, that that's probably the the big one right now. I don't know. Is there something that you you both don't uh, get in into? Well, beyond the beyond the Kindle, like an e reader thing, um, uh, t- TikTok would be probably one of them. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to, I don't need anything to do with TikTok. I don't have any use for this. I, it is um, a very confusing. I've, I've, I've started to post on, well, I started a long time ago. Just, you know, I, I will copy my post on, onto TikTok and um, every other platform I can understand. I can yeah. kind of wrap my head around <laughs> right. it. I just can't, I still post there, but I, I cannot. I have no idea what it is. It is still so dang confusing to me. And that's yeah. coming from somewhere who's, Big on Tumblr. Tumblr should be the most confusing one, and it is not. <laughs> TikTok, I I totally get Tumblr. You can just plug it right into my veins. I, I'm I'm fully on board. And TikTok, I have no heckin' idea. TikTok, mm. I couldn't even tell you how to embed a TikTok on Twitter or another platform. Mm-hmm. And I've looked. I don't even like, know if I you can. I, well, I've seen people post. Um, links to videos that are clearly TikToks. They say, you know, the TikTok thing comes up at the end on on Twitter. But um, there was something somebody sent me once and I was like, oh, I want to post this to Twitter. And I, I just straight up couldn't figure out how to do it without like to where it was just embedding the video. And if you're listening to this, please do not. Please <laughs> don't come at me to explain this. I don't. I really Your don't. Your inbox. Yeah. Full of TikTok tutorials. Uh, this. I know people are trying to be helpful, but like, I really don't, I'm never going to use it. Um, it's just, uh, I, yeah, it's a, it's a confusing platform to me. And also the entire energy of the place feels like, uh, not my energy. So, you know, God bless the people that are using it and, uh, I'm glad y'all are having fun with it, but that one's, mm-hmm. that one's not for me. Yes. What about you, Eric? You got, you got an, Anything well, if we're talking like platform specifically, I, fuck, I, I can't make heads or tails of Pinterest. Like I tried and like, it looks just like a fucking unmade puzzle to me. Like <laughs> with, with, where they took out all the border pieces. Like I couldn't tell you how to post, where to post, where to look for other posts. Like I think I went to Pinterest, like, uh, like there was a link to something maybe it was like something dumb like a jack-o'-lantern stencil design or something i was looking looking at and i was like oh i'll go here to download it and literally i signed up for pinterest so i could access the the platform and, and like follow a link and i was just like it i might as well have been in you know hieroglyphics to me i could not fucking like i couldn't back out of that room quick enough um vr is kind of that way like i i've really enjoyed uh, VR, especially during the uh, uh, the lockdown, um, mm-hmm. 
uh, VR was a really fun escape, but I get headaches with it. Like it's such a pain in the ass to make the room for it. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, and I'm lazy. I just, I don't want to stand up and do shit. Just give me a controller, put it in my hand. I, I'm going to be that old dude in the nursing home, you know, yes. uh, fucking I around and doing you in apparel wait. maybe, but I have to be able to sit down and, and just like veg out and, yes. uh, and do I, my game. I can't no wait way. until VR does not make you sick, but, um, I had same experience. Um, yeah. I think it was during, during lockdown, Old Chuck, uh, you know, I don't play video games much. I play one video game, which is Dead by Daylight, and and that's all I do. Uh, <laughs> right. And uh, but during lockdown, I thought, oh, I'm gonna get one of those dang headsets and try it out, and uh, got that. And I think it was a game name of uh, Resident Evil Seven or something. I don't oh, know which. Oh, oh Jesus, yeah. Um, but oh, no. that but that was a VR version, and um, I played the whole game with VR. Uh, no shit, really. Yes, uh, it felt like it was getting me out to trot around, but um, uh, very sick. I could only play <laughs> about, f- about fifteen to twenty minutes at a time. Uh, kind of a miserable experience, but I did it. How many? How many uh, pairs of underwear did you completely ruin playing that game in VR? Oh, you know what? It was interesting. It so it was pretty dang, pretty dang scary, and I would. To be immersive, I would only do it at night so that um, there wasn't any so that there wasn't any kind of light leaking through. It kind of ruined the experience if you're in a dark house and then you're low, like kind of below your eyes is just the sunlight. Um, So I would I would play it at night to just kind of 15 minutes at night and get through it. Very scary. But I I found the most interesting thing was um, my memory of that game. When I have memories of other dang little games, uh, they're all flat. They're all on a screen, right? I remember them as watching it like a movie. When I remember, as I'm talking to you right now, playing Resident Evil 7, I remember it like a place that I've been to. Right. Uh, That's wild. Which is very fascinating. Um, Just kind of the mental experiment of it. Um, That kind of farmhouse that you're in, I just, I don't think of it like any other video game. It's like I'm talking to you just kind of about a location, which I I just, that, that is the most surreal thing about playing through a VR game like that. For me, it's interesting, but yeah, I, I just... Until I cannot uh, want to vomit every fifteen minutes, and then I think I'm I'm out for those. <laughs> well, from from country music to VR talk to uh, the morality of stealing from your clones and alternate versions of yourself, I think we've run the gamut on this episode yes. of uh, wild conversation topics. Uh, and I wouldn't expect anything less from from you, Mister Tingle. And uh, thank you so much for for joining us. Yes, yes. you're always welcome, Chuck. We love you around here. We're always happy to talk to you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And I let me say, uh, before I trot away, Barrier Gaze is uh, is coming out and uh, and pre-order it because uh, I think a lot of Buckaroos, speaking of video games, pre-orders have a pretty bad rap because of mm. video games. Uh, right. I see a lot, you know, a lot of um, games, they say, oh, pre-order and that comes out and it's not a good version because they have to rush it. I don't think a lot of Buckaroos realize how important pre-orders are for authors. Mm. Um, and that basically the entire kind of year of that book is all based on the pre-order. It's like launching a rocket into space. And if if you don't have the initial fuel, it just doesn't work. Um, right. So if there's an author, an artist you like, pre-order the dang uh, 
pre-order their dang book and uh, pre-order Barrier Gaze, uh, especially if you're interested in kind of um, alternate uh, versions of uh, a world that could uh, could be or could not be. And where mm. can they pre-order this from, Chuck? Where should they go? Um, you know, you can pre-order it literally anywhere. But um, something interesting that I've learned in getting in, into kind of the world of traditional publishing, the best place and way to pre-order a book for things like bestseller lists or other, other, any of those things are um, – uh, hard hardcover versions is kind of the number one. Um, and from an indie bookstore actually is, uh, mm. which is really nice to know. You'd think that it maybe would be a system, not that way that you want to go to kind of a bigger one. Um, so yeah, hardcover from an indie bookstore is actually the best for the author. Um, mm. and then, you know, but we all have our preferences. I only do audiobooks, So if you want to get an audiobook on your Ur Kindle, then, uh, <laughs> then you can do that too. That helps too. But, um, actually taking the effort to just go and, uh, it's surprising how much I think Buckaroos think, oh, well, I'll just get it the day it comes out and don't realize, oh, actually doing it before is basically times 10 for an author. So that for is sure. my, I've heard that's that my whole author. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when, when does it actually come out? Uh, it is going to come out of July, 2024. So I'm getting started early, but, uh, yes. Yeah. Excellent. It, it well, then yeah, we get, know uh, when we'll, when we'll be talking to you again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the book for July. I, I can't, I can't wait. We'll yes. have to pick a real curveball for your for your next one. Oh, I'm going to dive deep. I'm going to find Alan's <laughs> penis and uh, and uh, prove that it's a real real book. You might have to get an Ur Kindle for that. Yes, but, but I wish you luck. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. It was a delight as always, and uh, we will talk to you again soon, Chuck. Many thanks to Chuck Tingle for bringing us this very meaty short story to talk about. So uh, you might uh, have noticed a lack of Wampler in this outro. So I must admit that due to my hectic travel schedule, getting me back in front of my microphone way past Pop Pop's Wampler's bedtime, I'm going to do the rest of the outro solo. That's right, just me. Which means I'm going to try to get through this as quickly as possible. The short, short version is that next Wednesday, we will be returning to Derry once again. That's right, we're looking at my personal favorite Stephen King tale, It, and this time we are joined by writer and director Lindsay Beer. You might know her, she's been in the writer's room for Star Trek, Transformers, uh, and she most recently wrote and directed the prequel Pet Cemetery Bloodline, so we'll be talking to her about that a little bit, and also, of course, about everybody's favorite killer clown. And this Friday on our Patreon, Scott and I will be answering all of your burning questions in the year's final mailbag bonus episode. So if you want to ask us about the podcast or or our past lives as film bloggers, or if you have any random Stephen King questions, then pop open your email service of choice and drop us a line at thekingcast19 at gmail.com. That is thekingcast19 at gmail.com. And then this is also the part where I remind you to join up with our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the Kingcast for instant access to this Friday's bonus episode, as well as over a hundred ad free bonus episodes, commentaries, interviews, and of course our very fun King themed actual play RPG show Shelbyville. We're rolling out season two now. So sign up and get caught up. You don't want to miss it. And I think that's that. So see y'all next week for It with Lindsay Beer and this Friday for our last mailbag of 2023. Love is real. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. 